It's Friday, August 20th, 2021, and you're listening to episode 577 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 52 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan. This is Wayne. My name's Chad. All right, so I got a situation. You f***ed up another character. Sort of. And you're <laughs> a long line of horrible characters that is just here to the start of time. Yeah, kind of something <laughs> like that. Except in this case, I don't think I fully understood the game. It's similar sure. to, though, not as bad as my foibles in Dresden, where I really didn't understand much about Dresden Files and the group outside of you, Chad, and you, Wayne, would not stop jacking around and actually help me make a group that fit into the the group flow or the group template. And so, in their defense, that just jacking around all the time was kind of yeah. Game. No, I know that <laughs> was that was just sort of the prevailing culture. Mm-hmm. But so with Blades in the Dark, obviously this is going to reference the actual play, which I hope you're listening to ap.feartheboot.com. If you're not, we'll explain this in a way where this is still genericized game advice that can apply to a variety of situations. But the situation in the game is, so I'm playing this guy by the name of Dr. Eldon Proust, and he's this guy who was driven insane while he was out at sea because there's all these, like, demons in the sea and whatever, and all this dark stuff in the abyss that he stared into the abyss until the abyss stared back into him, and he became okay with that and it kind of <laughs> right. you know, drove him over the deep end. Fits within the setting because sure. Blades in the Dark is a horror setting or pseudo-horror mm-hmm. setting with a lot of edgy sort of yeah. stuff to it. It's like if there was horror and then everyone just got used to it. Yeah. You know, it's it's just, there comes a point when it's just a part of daily life. Yeah, yeah. And I think there is something that is true in most games, and Blades in the Dark I'll put on that list, which is there's something of a cycle to the game's story that Mm -hmm. basically goes like this. You begin somewhere, you receive the adventure, you go out to the adventure, you return to the point you started. Okay, let's take Shadowrun. Mr. Johnson Mm -hmm. calls, gives you a job, you do the run, you get screwed over doing the run. You sort out getting screwed over. You end up back in your apartment eating. Yeah. It's probably not fish, fish sticks or mm-hmm. whatever it is. You know, in D&D, you go down to the tavern, the color animal in. A guy in a robe gives you a adventure. You go out, you do the adventure. Then you come back to town and blow your money on stupid crap. Most games, once again, I think have this kind of cycle. Star yeah. Trek. You get your orders from Starfleet, you go do the mission, and then there's the wrap-up where you're back on the ship after the mission's complete. And even if there is a long, ongoing, non-episodic plot, I still think you have these ups and downs, these story Mm -hmm. beats, these story rhythms that tend to describe the lion's share of the game. You can't fight dragons and bugbears and corpse-sex security Every single moment of every single session of yeah. every single game. Lord of the Rings. You got a role play in there somewhere. They're moving forward. They're not really staying in place, but they always end up back at the campfire, mm-hmm. singing songs. and You got to eat. Yeah, eating whatever food and so on and so forth. So when Blaze in the Dark was pitched to me, the basic game cycle or the basic story cycle mm-hmm. was explained to me as you have a portion of the game that takes place while prepping for the score. Mm -hmm. So you're at base, you're in your hideout, you're in your gang territory, you're learning about what you want to hit or who you want to knock over or finding out somebody's coming after you. And this is all of these descriptions too, not just Blades of Dark, but all of them is the game in its distilled form. You know, this is not like, obviously... There's role-playing in all of these games. Like, sure. We're just kind of taking that off. We're just talking about the flow and the timber yeah, of yeah. the game. Yeah, well, yeah, And how you're describing Blades in the Dark, how I was explained to you, is actually how Chad has run it in the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that was a reasonable explanation of yeah. how it was played. 
and it is fair to make an aside here that I am being a bit reductionist. Absolutely. But I do think, nonetheless, this is still generally mm-hmm. true, just as you have an overarching story that has an overall flow, you know, goes mm-hmm. up to a climax, and then yeah. you're end of the story and whatever and your epilogue and whatnot that within that you have these mini cycles that you go through anyway going back to blades in the dark mm. so there's the setup for the score that occurs using something i believe called the fortune system right a fortune roll where you use a different set of rules and you have different templates you're working from and then you go to the score where you've decided to knock over a bank or attack another gang, or defend against another gang attacking you, or whatever it is. And then there's a post-game where you then go in and you get your XP, your downtime actions, which sets you up for the next story where you start back in that pre-score fortune phase again. And so in designing my character, I designed a character that works very well around that cycle. Yeah. I can tell you the sorts of things this character would be doing in the lead up to a score. Mm-hmm. This character definitely has a place and skills and will not always be in the spotlight and that's fine, but has a potential for spotlight and for purpose during the score and then has goals and things and that he's pursuing in that downtime and a definite future to his character in terms of character progression both at the personality level and also at the stat level and all of that was working great until that cycle didn't occur Mm. and we had something that i just which is wayne's fault (laughs) well (laughs) i we had something that as long as i've been role-playing i should have seen coming Mm. but everyone has to step in dog shit just often enough to remember to watch out for it. Mm-hmm. And this was my moment where we had, I guess it was really probably about a two-game stretch, at mm-hmm. least a game and a half, maybe a two-game stretch, where it was not even in a pre-score setup. Right. It was just 100% downtime. We don't have a particular objective in mind, so we're not prepping for something. Mm-hmm. We're certainly not pursuing a score, and we're past the downtime phase from the prior score. We're just sitting around being human beings. Yeah, it's a weird thing because this game actually has a mechanic called downtime, Mm -hmm. but that is what I call these sections. I call them downtime sessions, and I like to do them in any game that I'm running, too, after you've had big things happen. I want a couple of sessions, or at least one session where the characters have a chance to talk about what they just went through to role play with each other. And I call them downtime because it is not the big adventure, not the big things. And essentially when I'm running a game, I'm trying to not talk during the downtime session. And that's what I was actually about to describe that too, is where what Dan is talking about, this is the situation where all the characters are role playing They're talking in character. They're talking about good stuff. Their characters are evolving and changing. And this is where the game master leans back in his chair and shuts the f*** up. Yeah. Because he needs this to happen because their characters are growing and changing and bonding or having rivalries or doing all this cool stuff. And for me, this this is also the entertainment of being a role player, of being a game master. Yeah. It's like watching TV. And it's, it's a good part. To have in a game, right? Oh, yeah. Characters role-playing. We're big fans of this stuff. Except the way that the game is presented implies mm. that that sort of activity is done very individually. Because in that downtime phase, you pursue your vice. Right. And your vice could be... Pores, drugs. Substance weird, abuse. Yeah. It could, In my yeah. case, it's faith. Yeah. And so... Freaky you, faith. Yeah, but you have something that you engage in that you typically do Mm -hmm. away from the rest of the gang. And so that sitting around the campfire, just role playing while the game master's leaning back, smoking a fatty, (laughs) is really at least implied to be abstracted Mm -hmm. into those downtime activities. And if you've played a Powered by the Apocalypse game, then 
they very much use, they don't lock you into right. this, but they use these. Nobody comes to your house and says, what in the hell are you doing speaking in character? Right. You should be rolling dice and doing your project. But, but they have these yeah. playbooks that right. are kind of like, we're going to distill down what you can do to half a dozen choices. Mm-hmm. Pick the one that's closest to what you're trying to achieve and move forward. Yeah. And in some of the powered by the apocalypse games, those downtimes are not really defined. And so I, as a player, I'd see that 18 wheeler coming. I'd see, okay, mm-hmm. there's going to be more RP, right. but because of the way it's set up in blades, I was like, no, that gets dealt with in the downtime flowchart. So I really don't have to think about this character outside of that micro cycle Mm -hmm. of setup, score, downtime. And then we had two games of straight role playing, (laughs) and I suddenly realized I don't have any idea, certainly what this character would do with other people. Now I can yeah. think of things this character would do purely in a vacuum. Absolutely. If, yeah. if he was on his own back at the insane asylum or walking the streets, oh, he's, he's not an idle person right? by any stretch. But when we're all sitting there literally at a train station yes, and people are talking about trading cards and these, these yeah. guys called rail jacks and how weird it is that the leader of the gang is all gruff and he's a spy, he's a manipulator and all this stuff, going fanboy crazy because he had a hidden hobby that nobody knew about of he was a major fan yeah. of these rail jets. It's like pro wrestling, except there's supernatural things and you can really die. Yeah. And so we're doing all this role play. There's people at the station and one of our opposing gangs was taking a separate train and we were, there's some hooting and hollering yeah. back and forth. And I suddenly realized that my character has nothing mm-hmm. in the internal consistency of his design yeah. that fits the situation. I thought it was really striking because, so one of the things that I like to put in all my games, I even mentioned it here, is food. It's a Quentin Tarantino thing. It's very human, yeah. right? Everybody eats. Even if you're somebody who's very mercurial about what you it's like, I can eat rice and chicken every day it's just food is fuel guess what that is a character concept right there yeah there's an aspect or you're somebody who loves food and and loves eating and all the best food and you love to cook and all again that's a character concept i always put food in my games i put eating in my games because it gives a pause and it gives a social situation and it opens the door for that role play where i get to sit back and watch there's all kind of great i could do a whole episode on food here's what i noticed about proust he doesn't eat. Well, he did. I mean, he pinwheels. He, he, yeah, he ate pinwheels once, but he does not join in in the social custom of eating. Yeah, because of like everything you just said previously, and I think I know why you did that. And I'm going to take a stab at it. Tell me if I'm wrong, though. So my theory is that first, Proust is an amazingly good character. That hey buddy thing you do. Yeah. Creepy as shit and I love it. <laughs> you made a character that is not defined in the fiction, right? As in, well, I'm a cutter. I'm, I came up from the street. I'm a tough guy. I beat people up for money. That's defined in the fiction, right? I'm a spy and I have all these ideas defined in the fiction. You are a whisper. That's fine. That's, that's a playbook. You're a guy who is in a mental asylum run by various maniacs and they rent you out to criminals for very specific services and you're running a cult in there that is the most blades in the dark that i've ever heard and that's not in the fiction anywhere and it's amazing you nailed the the setting of it of a game that you yourself say that you don't know it's new to you you don't fully like i said you don't quite grok it yet you you don't fully grasp it yet and the rules for you are somewhat new and so what i think happened is that you are trying to come to an understanding about the rules and the setting because you are a rules guy and rules are important. I mean, you're not like some grognard or anything, but they matter to you. And that that's great. And you also want to understand the setting. And then there's also the aspect of integrating yourself with the team and doing all this. When you play D and D all that groundwork is already done. You can pick out a character. We're playing adventures in an adventuring guild. It's a medieval setting and high fantasy, lots of dragons, magic shops, that sort of king. We're working for a king. Cool. 
you probably already have like two or three ideas and questions like, well, can I play this? Can I play this? The integration is so easy. Yeah. In this, I think what happened is you were eating from too many plates because you're trying to understand all this and it's like juggling, right? You can only juggle so many balls and one or two of the balls dropped as you're trying to integrate into this game as a whole. One of the balls that got dropped was making a character, not integrating your character in a group, making a character that integrates socially. Yeah, because the character is integrated. The character has ties to yes. all the different characters. They all have reasons for being, you know, with him and around him. But he's not a social character. Yeah, I think that's something that maybe you can lean into. Proust could potentially call people on the, "Why are you sitting here talking about trading cards when we're about to go to this horrible place?" Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I could, but I'm afraid that going that route would make him too much of a one-note character. Yeah. Because there's... He's already the scary character. You don't want him to be the authoritarian buzzkill either. Yeah, exactly. Right. There was yeah. a concept that I had with Prowse in terms of how I'm playing him that I could sort of draw from certain real-world figures. Let mm. me give you an example. I don't remember the person's name, but as best as I recall the story, we're all probably familiar with the poem a night before christmas mm -hmm. it was the night before christmas and all through the house not a creature was stirring not even a mouse blah 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 okay mm. you've probably heard this poem as best as i understand the story behind the poem it was written by some kind of clergyman i don't know if he was a priest or a parson or a pastor or what exactly he was and he hated the poem <laughs> and he hated it because he considered it to be this frivolous right. sort of pointless. He had almost what we would call a puritanical view of mm. it. Uh, the word puritanical gets misused a lot uh, in terms of what actual puritanical theology and philosophy was, but it was very minimalist yeah. that you didn't pursue a lot of these kind of extraneous distractions of it's life. Like, it's like the Amish don't have buttons because it's too prideful. Yeah, sort of saying, you know, it's it's like that that just distracts you from what you're doing. Yeah, it is it's something like that. And this individual's best as I recall the real world story, he even though his poem is world famous, yeah. he disliked it for that reason. And so when I was picturing Proust, I pictured him as that archetype of an individual, but perverted. Right. Per and I don't mean sexually perverted. No, no perverted I mean, within like in Blades, everyone's a bad guy. Yeah, he's so not a good person, yeah. and what he's caught up in is the result of all kinds of madness and spiritual darkness and whatever that he's too far gone to really understand the damage he's doing. But he still has that same sort of asceticism, that mm -hmm. same sort of minimalism, where the fact that he was even eating those pinwheels in a <laughs> pastry shop this was a, a very out-of-character yeah. indulgence for him. And I want to pause here to say that I acknowledge this was my oversight. I had this sense that that downtime phase would sort of distill. Yeah, abstract sort of it. Yeah. It would abstract it, and I wouldn't actually And have... technically it does. Right, you know? right. Well, under other GMs, that could very well have happened. I was looking out on the Reddit for Blades in the Dark. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised to hear the different playstyles people have. People talking about they've got this so tuned down that they can hit two scores in a session. Oh my god! Like, wow, do you want? <laughs> and they're having characters have to be retired at least once every three sessions. Yeah, and it's like that's not how we play the game at all. Right. And then there are other people that are playing a lot more like we do. And mm -hmm. there's like all these different playstyles. For some people, that's how they run it. Yeah, is. The setup, the session, the role, they go for it, and they don't have these downtime sessions. And, of role play. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, of role play. And I think... Or maybe the role play is when they are in flight, Yeah, which is fine. And we, we do that. My issue with that in previous games, because mm -hmm. Chad jokingly blamed it on me, mm -hmm. is I've given him this feedback before. Yeah. I like the game, I like the systems, but I've never felt like I've been able to get really deep characters out of the system yeah. when it is run by formula. Right. And you don't have those down 
time sessions. The game, it's as written, never once tells you not to role play at any point. And when I say role play, I mean my character Callum. It's like, oh, Dr. Proust, you're so fantastically weird. That kind of role play, it, it never stops that. It, it never says don't do that at any part of the mechanics. But it never says to do it either. Not that you need permission, but just the flow of the game as written. It gives you a formula. It is very easy. And I've I've warned people this. I've warned people on the show, on the AP. And then people ask me, like in Discord or whatever, to, you know, advice for running it. And I tell everybody, it is very, very easy to get into this cycle of prep, heist, downtime. Prep, heist, downtime. It's always about the next big score, which is actually a trope in crime movies and stuff. But I'm like, you always have to have the role play in there. Otherwise, it's just going to be, you know, one step away from a board game. I have fallen into that trap. And that's why I blame it on Wayne, too. Is like all the because we we don't we're not blaming you, Dan. We're not blaming me, of course. Well, right, yeah. We're blaming Wayne because Wayne has rightly pointed that out. Because I this is the third time I've run the game. And it's not that the players have had bad characters, and it's not that there hasn't been any role play. It's just that the nature of the system, you are scoundrels, you take huge risks, you get yourself into trouble, and the game is never actually about necessarily getting yourself out of trouble. It's about making a bigger splash when you get into trouble. But as we all know, that leads to more trouble, which leads to more that and that and that. And so sometimes it's very easy to get to lose the role play. In yeah. There. Having a session without having a score is something mm-hmm. it doesn't ever give you the advice to do. Right. But that's advice I'm going to give to anyone that wants to run the game is have some sessions that are downtime sessions that don't have scores. Yeah. There's you're, te- you're not looking at clocks. Yeah. There's technically, D&D is actually an easier game to run because it's so bifurcated, right? It's so like the combat is combat and it's not anything else. A score in Blades is not combat. It could, it could have combat. You can have combat outside of it. Outside of a score and the the fortune rolls and stuff, you could have an entire score where there is no fighting, no violence or anything like that. And people are taking stress and and making big moves and that sort of thing. But at least in something like D&D, there's a very delineated line. We're not on initiative. We don't have a bugbear in front of us. If we want, we can talk about our feelings. (laughs) Blades doesn't stop you from talking about your feelings, but... Because of the nature of the game, is you're desperate, swashbuckling scoundrels in a desperate situation where you are hanging on by the skin of your teeth and you can't be subtle. You have to pull off a big move to make sure this thing goes down right. And it's not going to go down right. Right. So that means you have to pull off even bigger move. Well, it, it's easy to for the role play to get lost in that. And the, the broad, you know, like, well, tell me about Dr. Proust's feelings. <laughs> yeah, that, that gets lost. Well, and I hate to spend too much time talking about specifically our game, mm. but I what, don't, <laughs> what I would love to see our next score, mm-hmm. whatever we are taking the train to another area that it Proust is not comfortable in. We're going to the demon land and he doesn't like demons. Yeah. I want to see that from Proust. I want to see him be, the fish out of water and not like the crazy fish that we see. (laughs) I want to see that uncomfortableness from him of, I would like all of these demons to just go away, but I can't do that. I have to deal with them. And I think this is a story arc is a chance for Prowse to grow, to have character advancement in personality. He is away from the things that influence him. So he's only being influenced by the other characters. And by the re- the area we're going into, if this is something you see as a problem for the character, that the character is not made for conversations with people, things like that, you have the tools and opportunity in front of you to mold the character, to grow the character, thinking about what would Prowse do when he doesn't have somebody reinforcing his visions and views? Yeah. What would he do when... Everywhere he looks, there's an enemy, except for 
these people around him. Well, and in contemplating this, now that we've done the important mm-hmm. thing of pinning blame on Wayne. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's really it's all It's easy that to do. As long as yeah. you've established fault, the rest of this mm-hmm. is kind of just, you know, icing on the cake. Right. But let's go ahead and go for the icing. So I was trying to think of what are the... Well, sol- it, in fairness to me, I couldn't think straight when I said any of that because I was sitting next to Brodor and he was farting. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so... I, yeah, I'm telling you, man, there are verses in the Bible about his farts. <laughs> anyway, but the first one was one that was actually mentioned during the AP itself, which is play a different character. Blades is and Blades, set up for that. Yeah, exactly. Blades is set up for that, where I could pretty easily bring in the moot that I have, mm-hmm. Booker and Biter, and yep. play them instead. I could... Which you do phenomenally well i could pick a third character like prouse handler Mm -hmm. to be like no this is too big of a deal i'm going to handle this personally and stat him out and then play him for the game and i could do that and i i accept that as an option but i see that as my last option because i enjoy proust Mm -hmm. and now i see and when i say i i mean i dan not i as proust I, as a human being, now see the sort of challenge, this puzzle, in trying to solve the situation without pulling the eject lever. And if yeah. that's what I have to do for the sake of preserving the game, then I'll bite the bullet and I'll do that. You know, I'm not going to be so woodenly attached to a character that I will drag the whole ship down with me. Especially yeah. in a game like Blades, where, like we had said, the game is designed intentionally where you're actually supposed to be playing multiple characters. I just don't press down on that lever that hard. If we were just doing another score in the city, then that wouldn't be that big of a deal to say, okay, I'm going to play this other character. I would hate to see that happen with this storyline because I think this is a great Mm -hmm. opportunity for Proust. Yeah. Well, and another reason, and I'm going to be completely honest here is a metagame one. In order to really play Prowse the way I want to, there's one more ability I want him to pick up. (laughs) And so I don't want to be diverting the XP into a different character. Because, once again, for Prowse to function how I pictured, Mm -hmm. he's one ability (laughs) pip shy of that. And I'm going to admit, total metagame thing, but this is part of my thinking and I'm not going to pretend it's not. Mm -hmm. And so that is part of my calculus here is I don't want to take the easy way out. I I'm intrigued by the challenge of trying to solve this within the character. But like I said, there is a metagame Mm -hmm. reason of, I want to see put this in D and D terms. I want to see Prowse hit fifth level (laughs) and get his third level spells. Right. And so that's just the reality of it. Absolutely. So the second less severe but still severe solution is to radically revise the character, to mm. say, okay, I'm going to keep Proust, but I need to yank out this yeah. entire third of his personality and put in something that would otherwise be internally inconsistent with mm. the character but is necessary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There are people I would suggest that to. You are not one of them. Yeah. Your character would then have been well altered, perverted. Yes. And it would never be the it's same character, character with you, and you would never be happy with you, it. You're hundred percent right. And I, think, I would suggest that for Chad if he were having yeah. this struggle, because I think he could easily mm-hmm. pull that out of a character. I envision my characters very holistically. I envision them as an, a completed unit. And that unit can evolve and change. But if you cut off a third of it and put something else on there, to me, it will never be the same organism. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I think it's very different to say, here's where you want the character to go, and let's try to organically change the character. Yeah, and hold that thought. Because that's consistent. And hold that thought, because that's going to be point three. But yeah, I don't want to simply just yank out and replace an entire subsystem of the character and Mm -hmm. say, well, now suddenly he's got this interest in all these frivolities that otherwise similarities <laughs> that, that contradict everything else about who he has been and who he is. Cause like you said, it would cheapen the character yeah. to me. I would never feel like I was playing what I set out mm-hmm. to play. Yeah. It's advice I would give to a lot of people. I would never give you that advice because you would never like the character anymore. 
that advice is very doable in the first or second game, but we're what six, seven games in now. Yeah, wow. the further you get in, the harder yeah. it is to do that. Well, yeah, and then also everyone else would have to readapt how they view me, how they mm-hmm. interact with me, because now all of us... and you just got done cultivating this air of fear in the group. Yeah. Everyone and, is just creeped out by you, and now all of a sudden he starts collecting trading cards right. and. I, well, I don't it, even know that, what. But. That's a hard... And again, just so it's not just our advice for our game, this is advice for everybody because think of it from the player's perspective too. They have spent seven games coloring their view of Proust. This is who Proust is and how they interact with him. Now, retcon, and Proust likes kittens, and boy, that's great, and I'm not weirded out by Proust anymore. And it's just like, well... Uh, no, yeah. no, that's a different character. Part of his character is he's not supposed to be relatable. Yeah, exactly. And that's something I have to think about when mm-hmm. we get to that third option of evolving the character is how I want to handle that. Yeah. But I um, would recommend Evolution 2 some notion of relatability because it's like the, uh, what did we call them? The beautiful, unique snowflake sort of character. Yeah, the Bows. The Bowsts. Beautiful, unique snowflake. Yeah. Back before Snowflake was like a, term yeah this words. yeah this is this, way before a, that this was it was an apolitical phrase right now it's become political like everything has to yeah. be political yeah. mm-hmm. no but but i think proust was like that was, was like one of those beautiful unique snowflakes in that there's a ton of stuff going on with him and it's very hard for the other characters to relate it's in setting it, it perfectly melds with the setting and the other characters are having trouble relating with him, which is the goal. But it's akin to the kind of character where there's a lot of stuff going on in their head yeah. and not external. Yeah. And so I think you need to bring some of that internalness to an external point and then also change and grow the character over time. Yeah, well, and yeah. Blades kind of encourages a character like Proust insofar mm-hmm. as Blades describes overlapping realities. Yeah. That there is a material reality that people see and people interact with. And then there is the spirit realm, the ghost, the, this ghost world that exists overlaid or underlaid mm-hmm. across reality that people sort of dip in and out of. And what Proust's major malfunction is, is he's face down in that puddle. Yeah. He sees that side of the world. Far too often and is far too comfortable with it compared to the average person who either doesn't perceive it or tries very hard to avoid perceiving it. And so him interacting with the world in an almost alien way is quite internally consistent to the game. But there's a phrase here that comes to mind that I think has gotten a very bad rep, deservedly so, because it is so often used as an excuse for abuse and dysfunction. But I think... It's how my character would act. Exactly. And that's what my character would do. I have a huge defense of that. Anybody who says that's a bad phrase doesn't know what the hell you're talking about. It's It's called role play. Yeah, it's used to defend a lot of bad behaviors. That either people want to do something offensive and hide behind that's what my character would do, or they want to do something that's maybe not offensive, but is detrimental to the game. Right. The, is the, it really what your character would do, or are you just being an asshole and using that? Exactly. The adventure's over here, but mm-hmm. my character's not going to go there because that's not what my character would do. Right. And it, so even if it's not abusive, it, it can certainly be very detrimental to the game, but mm-hmm. I don't think it is therefore. Yeah. A, a situation we should throw out the baby with the bathwater. Well, I mean, when somebody because... role plays and everybody loves it and everybody has a good time, well, guess what? That too was what your character would do. Yeah, you know, it's. I, yeah. I remember one of my biggest disappointments in reading the novel Jurassic Park mm. was the movie. Well, <laughs> that aside, I'm talking specifically about the book here, not the movie. Was when the Australian big game hunter. He suddenly breaks character and for no reason goes from being this cunning, mm. paranoid, defense minded. You know, he's the guy sitting there yelling, who told you this was going to happen? I told you this was going to happen. And he's got machine guns and rocket launchers stashed everywhere mm. and he's ready for this. And then for no reason, 
he gets drunk, acts the fool, and gets killed. Right. And it was such a violation of everything that had been established about his character to that point that it was almost one of those throw-the-book moments. Mm -hmm. Wow, because his death in the movie wasn't bad at all. Well, because they never gave his character that setup. His character was kind of just there, but wasn't really as defined or as defensive. In the book, if his character had survived, they all would have made it out. And he would have shot all the dinosaurs. Yeah. I mean, it it would not be an interesting book. There would be no tension. They would rename him Meteor because he's the second extinction event for dinosaurs. I mean, he literally had, it wasn't just like 12 gauge shotguns like in the movie. It was rocket, literal rock. They're being chased by T-Rex. He's like, oh, wait a minute. Let me just put a shrimp on the bobby and and. Boom, there it goes. There it goes. Yeah. No more T-Rex. I think the metaphor you can use, I don't know if it was a T-Rex or a raptor or what it was, was Michael Crichton had exploded like a tomato. <laughs> right. I mean, this it was very, very clear that this guy, he did not trust his own employers and knew yeah. where this was going to go. He was a nature's red and claw and tooth sort of guy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, but whether you latch onto that example or not, we've all seen examples in movies or in books or in video games where suddenly a character takes a hard 90 yeah. degree right turn and it breaks the story. And as a result, I don't want Prowse to suddenly just turn because he's not working as is. And so therefore I'm going to annihilate the internal consistency mm. of the character. Now, if this was offending somebody, oh, if sure. this was boat anchoring the game, mm-hmm. different story. Prowse needs to die on the altar of everybody else's fun. Right. And I'm okay with that. Yeah. But that's Proust, who's a whisper who like summons ghosts and stuff and ghosts are bad things in the setting. If Prowse things like, man, I love ghosts. Ghosts are amazing, which I've had whisper players play it for, but then turn around. is like, all right, guys, I have all these ghosts. And now I'm having all the ghosts possess everyone in the gang. Yeah. So they're not their characters anymore. Which I, and right. And I right. very specifically wrote the characters such that he is trying to find worthy souls, which may include yeah. living souls, and is therefore trying to redeem, not possess mm-hmm. the group. Because I recognize that's right. messed up, dysfunctional. And in that situation, saying, well, that's what my character would mm-hmm. do is a cheap excuse to be abusive. Right. It's not a valid point. All right, so this takes me to option number three, which Wayne already hit on. And this is where I want to, if possible, to solve it, which is can I take what exists and find some way to add on to it? One of the things that was suggested is if Prowse is concerned about the worthiness of a soul, because in the setting Blades in the Dark, when people die, their soul lingers for a bit, even after the body's dead. Their soul lingers forever. But when a new person is born, they also have a soul. Right. So therefore, there are more souls than vessels or bodies right. in the world. And so Proust is playing a sort of moral Darwinism with that, of trying to keep the worthiest souls in the vessels and therefore attached mm. to reality until, in his mind, Eventually, we reach some point. Question mark, question mark, profit. Yeah, yeah. profit. In his mind, and this is not Blaze in the Dark, right. this is just his own twisted theology, is that if some point the world is worthy enough, perhaps whatever gods that be will undo the apocalypse and mm. open up the afterlife again. And, you know, we right. once again, yeah. that's his mm-hmm. ideology. Well, and in being a true believer of this, he doesn't see that the souls are getting twisted by not being yeah. in bodies and that they're getting twisted in bodies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that was raised is, and I don't remember who it was that said it, but they said it during that AP and I just didn't have enough time to chew on it is, well, why isn't Proust therefore himself seeking to do virtuous acts mm-hmm. apart from his theological Darwinism? Right. Why is, for example, is he not trying to teach, to uplift the poor, Mm -hmm. to spread these sort of virtues that in his own screwed up way, he does assent to? Because he he believes in virtue. He does not believe that crime, stealing, killing are virtues. Right. Means to an end, maybe. Precisely. And or this is a, a wrath upon evil. But Proust is not just some 
random butcher of men. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a he ma- likes pinwheels for God's sake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He loves pecan pinwheels. I yeah. know where the pecans are coming from because I don't <laughs> think there are trees. There's but, a whole chapter in the book about food. Oh, okay. you should read it. It's wild. <laughs> I, I've tried to introduce it in a couple of games I've ran. Just like I've tried to introduce a train heist that yeah. I'm finally going to get to do. Yeah. I am might try to introduce the food concepts, like where food comes from in this game if I can. Yeah, well it's but going back to this idea of expanding the character, I think I can stop and look at the character and write out the half dozen major mm-hmm. defining traits of this character and say, okay, there's gotta be some empty space here. Or there's got to be some place where A plus B equals some nth concept, mm-hmm. you know, where, as the example we just gave, if he's got this sort of spiritual Darwinism, and so he's trying to look for the more virtuous souls, then it would be within his interest both to nurture the virtue of his own souls and that of others. Mm-hmm. So why is he not pursuing something like that? If he sees too much frivolity in this whole railjack thing, my first thought was, well, maybe he could be sabotaging them. But it's mm-hmm. like, no, that's because Eric and other people yeah. are developing their characters to be really into it. So that just gets to be pointlessly contrarian. Mm-hmm. But there's got to be ways like that where I can evolve this character and expand this character without violating the consistency of this character. Well, and I think a great thing to do is have the conversation with Chad about it. Because... No, I, can, I don't conversate outside the game. <laughs> I can think of a bunch of ways specifically for the character to have interesting experiences on this arc. Mm-hmm. You know, because these are, this is potentially a life-changing arc for these characters. I could see Proust finding a demon that is doing good things and then asking himself, if this demon is bringing more virtue to the world than me, what am I doing? Yeah. And that being his wake-up call to start doing more things. It's possible. I'd have to chew on that one a little more because his views on demons are so absolute. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's what and, I'm saying. If something so evil can be doing more good for the world than me, who is not evil, yeah, maybe I need to step up. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't. But even if that one particularly doesn't work, you're on the right trail. This is the type of thing that I need to be looking into. Yes, he's nuts, but he's not immutable. Mm. You know, he doesn't have a fixity of personality. I mean, even people that are genuinely schizophrenic, they are affected by their situations. Mm-hmm. People of any mental illness, oftentimes it's the result of some circumstance of their life, and it evolves as things in their life occur to either exacerbate or relieve or even just change the way that that issue unfolds. And so I think I have to look at Proust both in terms of those empty spaces that I need to fill of, you know, things like why is he not out tending to the flock, but also in areas of even if it's not coming around to demons, where are the areas where life would be impacting him? You know, it's not as if he is so stone headed that it's only unidirectional. He affects the Mm -hmm. world, period. I mean, because, for example, his theology and his doctrine came to him from his handler, who's a ghost possessing a psychiatrist's body, mm-hmm. a guy by the name of Dr. Killian. So clearly he's open to outside input of some sort. Yeah, and, that's and something when so I, when I might I need to, to develop ev- that. That's something when I want to evolve a character, I'm always looking for a catalyst. Mm-hmm. Because, yes, people change over time, but if you want a more rapid change then it's going to have to be a bigger event, a catalyst to kick off somebody realizing something about themselves or changing their activity. And I think those are great things to talk with the GM about of, here's what I'm thinking, throw some ideas out. Maybe you come up with something, or maybe it's just something that sits in the back of Chad's head (laughs) and he starts throwing things out there for you Mm -hmm. to give you those opportunities to find a catalyst. Yeah. I run different games differently and uh, and what I mean by that is I don't mean that I run Blades in the Dark differently than I run d and I mean, that's that everybody. But what I mean is like you this is your third Blades in the Dark campaign and each one's been run differently. Right. Right. And I have run games before where I get a 
ton of feedback. I don't just solicit feedback. I, I manipulate feedback from players about their characters and stuff and designer drug the story setting and plot to enmesh with them. And then there are times when I don't as well. This is a game right now where I'm not enmeshing the characters into the plot. Yeah. This is one of those where we talk about where the plot is happening, whether the characters are there or not. And the characters then insert themselves into it and then create the chaos and change that is the story. So if you, Dan, want to come to me and say, okay, I need this for my character. I need this and this for my character. That's fine. I'm not seeking it out. Not because of you or Wayne or anything, right. because that's not how I'm running that. But I am open to it. I am very much open to the players coming to me and saying, okay, let's do this. I want this. to. Can we set this up? The reason I'm not doing it in this game, though, or I'm not doing the, the enmeshment of plot and characters in this, is that, you know, I run different themes and I try different things. One of the things that I'm running with this is that you are responsible for you. And I'm not saying that in this situation, Dan. Obviously, again, you want something, come to me. We're going to make that happen. But I'm talking broad strokes in general of I don't count the XP. I don't track your characters. I don't look at your stuff. You guys have projects. I will make suggestions to help because a lot of people are new to the setting and stuff. I don't track your projects. I don't plan on integrating the projects, like some people are doing businesses and stuff, into the big plot. They have been coming up their settings and set pieces and stuff. My goal is people get as much out of that and their characters as they put into them. Everyone here is a game master for this game and that their characters and what their characters are doing is their game and we're all coming together. Yeah, I've always said that Blades was a game where I just I didn't feel the need to run. Mm -hmm. But as we've been playing, I have an idea for a session. Yeah, I'm not saying anything <laughs> about it until after mm -hmm. we finish this arc and after Brodor does his. Because who knows, maybe the NPCs that I have in mind will get killed or won't be involved. But yeah, maybe I have something specific I want to see happen. And in, in previous games, I would have just come to you, Chad, and say, hey, I have this idea. I'd like mm -hmm. to see. But the way you've set this up, saying anyone wants has an idea, they can just run it. Yeah. I had my idea, and I'm kind of developing it out and thinking about what I want to do with it. Do And, it. yeah, that's I plan on trying to run a session after yeah. after Brodor does his. Because mm -hmm. his is more of a, we're giving him group therapy. <laughs> yeah. And so, to sum up all of this, what I want to do mm -hmm. is to challenge myself to evolve, not excise. And for anyone right. who's not familiar with the verb excise, it means to cut out. Mm -hmm. It is very easy to look at a character that's not working and say, I'm going to cut this character out or I'm going to cut out large portions of this character. But I want to see if I can go a third route because the character's issue is not that there's something that's hurting other people, mm, players yeah. or characters. It's just that the only person that's actually being hurt by this is me Yeah, because I'm sitting there bored and it's my own damn fault for not having more to do. Proust. But I want to fix that by evolution, not excision. You need to evolve in Proust a sympathy, not a sympathy that Proust has. Maybe that would be great too. But what I'm talking about is all of the character, not players, all the characters sitting around the table are at a setting right now where Proust is A, capable, can take care of himself, and is really f***ing weird. There is no room for sympathy there. And I think that would be really neat to develop a certain level of vulnerability that creates a sympathy. Because you look at the interactions with all the other characters, all the other characters are very sympathetic about each other. They very much care about each other. When they get hurt, you can't punch him, only I can punch him, yeah. you know, sort of stuff. It's just like, eh, I don't do anything. Wait, you messed with my bro? I'm going to kill your family now. Sort of sympathy that they have in protection and, and love. No one feels that for Proust because Proust doesn't need it. 
because Proust is strong and capable and also a little porcupiney. And Blades is not a story about evil people doing evil until they die. Blades is a story about people who are in way over their head and everything is trying to kill them or screw them. And the only thing they have is each other. Yeah. And what I want to see, and again, this this is the friendly editor sort of thing. What I would like to see is Proust is this puzzle piece, and there's the gang is the puzzle, and try to figure out how to fit that puzzle piece of Proust into the gang to where he does not really necessarily accept their frivolity, but he understands it yeah. and accepts it. And then they look at him and they say, okay, he's really weird but he's our weird guy. Yeah. I've also got some ideas, even as we've been doing this episode, we'll see how these play out, Mm -hmm. but I've got some ideas for also ways to make him without breaking his internal consistency to make parts of it more relatable. Yeah. But because you don't want to turn him into a teddy bear because that's not blades either. And it's not Dr. Proust. No. And you wouldn't be happy and no one would be happy. But I think that's where we're going to wrap this one up. I will put one thing in the show notes, which is in the prior two parter, we mentioned that Chris Hussey had run an official or unofficial, I don't know what AP. Mm-hmm. It's, it was official. Before Pinnacle. And we said we were totally going to link that in the show notes. <laughs> we didn't. Well, I went to Chris and said, dude, where's the link to this? He's like, there isn't one. They hadn't put it on YouTube yet. Uh, but because, it is now. Because you oh, know okay. how like, Twitch only keeps like yeah. two weeks of history or whatever. I, I don't know how it works. But it would apparently have rolled off of Twitch and not been mm-hmm. on YouTube. They have now put it on YouTube. So if you want to see that stuff that Chris did for Pinnacle, mm-hmm. I will now actually link it in the show notes because there is now finally a link to post. Yeah. So other than that, thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. See ya. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2021. Listeners are free to use this episode in a non-commercial endeavor so long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. If you wish to support this show and its related endeavors, you can do so at patreon.com slash feartheboot.